I was reading an article this week about anchorites. And no, this is not another excuse for me to talk about boats because it's got nothing to do with anchors. Um, in the Middle Ages, an anchorite was a woman, mainly woman, who chose to live a life of total seclusion and devotion to God. In order to do that, she would have herself walled in, bricked into a cell that had no, no door. It just had a window to the outside uh, for light and a window in to the main sanctuary of the church that her cell was attached to. And there she would pray and read, and sometimes she would write. Julian of Norwich was an anchorite. She was the first woman that we know of who wrote in English. She wrote Revelations of the Divine Love in the late 1300s. And I know that I have a fair number of new monastic friends, and I know that they hold her writing in high regard. But the article wasn't talking so much about uh, Julian of Norwich or other anchorites. It was drawing parallels between being bricked into a cell and being in total lockdown, as so many people are around the world today. And the writer made the suggestion that these days might be a good opportunity to spend time reflecting on the state of our souls, the state of our walk with God. We don't have to be walled into a cell to do that, but sometimes a little bit of imposed isolation is a good for the soul, an opportunity to reflect on where we're at. So that's what I'd like to do over the next few weeks. Take some time to reflect on how we live as believers. And, you know, for all of us, well, at least for me, um, sometimes it feels like we're just floating along on the wings of God's grace. And sometimes there's a whole lot of other metaphors that, that um, describe our experience. Spitting into the wind an uphill climb, swimming against the stream. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel that it's just so hard to live as a Christian when everything around us seems to be pushing in the opposite direction? There's old habits, right? Old habits that we've built up over the years. We know God doesn't like them, but still we keep falling back, with them, back into them. There's old friends, old friends that we still love dearly, well, some of them anyway, um, but our paths have gone different directions, and the things that we used to do together, we don't want to do anymore. Sometimes it's even our family. When I was pastoring in Canada, there was a guy who signed himself into a rehab program five hours bus ride away because he knew if he stayed in town and had continued contact with his family, who were all druggies, he would just um, relapse, and he didn't want that to happen. And that's just external stuff. That's not counting our own personal weaknesses, weaknesses that make us vulnerable in various ways, physical, emotional, mental. But I think a lot of our pain, a lot of our failure to live as we know we should, is actually because we live our lives backwards. What do I mean by that? I mean, we live them from the outside in, 
when we should be living them from the inside out. We allow the pressures of the world to push us in directions that we don't really want to go. As Paul would say in Romans 12, we allow the world to squeeze us into its own mold. So this week, we're beginning a new series that hopefully will help us to see the world a little bit differently, living as a Christian a little bit differently. I'm calling it uh, living from the inside out. So we'll start off this week talking about our hearts, the very core of our being, the place where we meet God. And we'll be talking about holiness. Next week, we'll talk about the next layer, living with yourself. And then we'll see how that's made easier by what the Bible calls humility. Then we'll talk about living with your neighbor, and we'll discuss integrity. In week four, we'll talk about living with society at large, living with others, and we'll look at what the Bible means by justice. And finally, by this time next month, we'll wrap up the series by talking about living with creation. And we'll see what the Bible has to say about our place in the big picture of God's creation. But this week, we want to begin by talking about our hearts. The passage that was read should be familiar, as we just had a series on First Peter in the autumn. So, just to refresh your memories, Peter was writing to Christians who lived in what is now northern Turkey, and he assumes that the Christians he's writing to will suffer in some ways simply for being Christians. So he tells them in chapter 3, verse 14, If you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And again, in verse 16, he talks about keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Obviously, people were going around bad-mouthing Christians. We don't know how bad it was, but clearly it wasn't easy to be a Christian. (coughs) Excuse me. Peter wants to help his brothers and sisters stand. And so he reaches back into the Old Testament to find something to encourage them with. And he reaches back to a time when the little country of Judah was under the threat of being steamrollered by a world superpower, a time when people feared for their lives and their future. And he quotes Isaiah 8.12, which reads, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Honor the Lord himself as holy. And Peter takes that and changes it just a little bit. He says, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Honor the Lord Christ as holy in your hearts. What he's saying is that when things get tough, when the world isn't going the way that you want it to do and you feel threatened by all kinds of things, the way to deal with the pressures of the outside world is first to make sure that your inside world is pointing in the right direction. I used to work in a youth hostel in Amsterdam and for part of my time there I worked as a cook. I'm not a very good cook. I'm not a very creative cook but I was only, you know, I was a a warm body. And and I can follow a basic recipe. I can do do as I'm told. So during my time in in uh, in the kitchen I actually came to have a new respect for onions. Almost everything we ate at the hostel had onions in it somewhere. So I learned how to peel and chop onions really well. I learned that if you peel onions under running water, you cry less, which is important when you're peeling onions for 150 people. 
And I learned quickly that um, you can peel onions down to nothing. You just keep on peeling and you can, there's always one more layer that can come off until you end up with this tiny little excuse for a vegetable and you have to start all over again with a new one. Our lives are a lot like onions. There are layers upon layers upon layers. Most of the people around us only ever see the outside layer of our lives and that's appropriate. There are appropriate boundaries that we should keep. You can't spill your guts to every person who comes across your path. Then there's a smaller group of people who know more about you. And as you work down through the layers of your life, there are fewer and fewer people who know you that well. Friends, family, your spouse. Until you get right down to the core, the very center of your being, the place that defines you, the place that only you and God know about. That place is what the Bible calls your heart. I went online to look for the the top 50 songs with heart in the title. And I was actually surprised to discover only two of them were later than 2000. What is it? Don't people write songs about their hearts anymore? I don't know. Anyway, so um, number one in the songs that talk about your heart was Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton, which I'm not really familiar with. But then it was followed by Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler and Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John and Kiki D. Both of which bring, great, bring back great memories for me. I don't know about you, but anyway. Um, but all those songs, in the, all 50 of them, had one thing in common. They're all talking about emotions, mainly about love. But the Bible never uses the word heart heart that way. There are a couple of places in our modern English translations that do use heart to refer to emotions, but that's not the word in the original languages. You see, different cultures locate their emotions in different parts of the body. In English, we talk about feeling things in our hearts. In some languages, you feel things in your throat. Greek and Hebrew talk about your emotions as being located in your bowels. And those of you who grew up with the King James um, would remember the expression of bowels of compassion. I'm not sure if Don't Go Breaking My Bowels would have made it up to number one in charts. So if the Bible isn't talking about emotions when it talks about the heart, what is it talking about? Well, sometimes when the Bible talks about a person's heart, it's actually talking about the organ that pumps blood around your body. But that's rare. Usually... When the Bible talks about your heart, it means the center of your being, the things you value, what you choose. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, if you get your heart right, then everything else will flow in the right direction from that. If you get your heart wrong, then you can't really get the rest of your life right either. Jesus agrees. In Matthew 15, he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are the things that make a person unclean. So if our heart is what is at the very core, our very center of our being, then the important question is, what or who lives there? There's all kinds of answers to that question. 
Some are more socially acceptable than others. It's perfectly acceptable socially for someone to say that they value success or their career or their reputation or their family above everything else. If you're talking with someone and they say that their family is the most important thing in their life, most people would probably approve of that. If they told you that they live for success or their career, you might be a little less positive, but those are still things that are culturally acceptable. If, you, if they told you that they live for money or sex or power, you might be a little more, you know, um, a little less um, approving of that. So what lives in your heart? What is at the core of your being? Have you ever asked yourself that? <clears throat> one, of my, one of our favorite movies is Sabrina, the older version, not the original version. In it, Harrison Ford plays Liars, Linus Larrabee, a mega successful businessman. And in the course of the movie, he slowly comes to know himself. And at one point he says, I do what my dad did. He did what his dad did. The path gets deeper and more familiar. I never chose. Perhaps for the first time in his life, he sees his own heart, and he's not sure if he likes what he sees there. What do you see when you look into your own heart? What lives at the core of your being? Why do you do what you do? In Ezekiel 14, a group of Israelite leaders come to Ezekiel to ask for advice. But God speaks to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? It's interesting the order that Ezekiel puts things in. He says, These men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. When he talks about them putting wicked stumbling blocks before their faces, he's clearly talking about actual physical idols. You know, little stone figurines of some god that you set up in a little household shrine. And you can see examples of those same kinds of thing in the museum here in Antalya, once it opens again. But that's not where he starts. Where he starts is, they've set up idols in their hearts. The little stone or terracotta figurines sitting on a shelf somewhere in their house is really just the external manifestation of something that has already happened internally. They had replaced God in their hearts long before they placed physical idols in their houses. When we put anything other than God first in our lives, it becomes an idol. It may be a good thing in itself. It usually is, like our job or our family. But if it takes over God's place at the center of our lives, it becomes an idol. So we have a choice of what to do with our hearts. We can either set up idols in our hearts by making something other than God the most important thing in our lives, or we can honor the Lord Christ as holy in our hearts. We can't do both. Some people try. They're like the guy who went to a party and was invited to have a drink with Joe afterwards, and he says, sure. And then Mike invited him to come and see his new apartment, so he said, sure, to him too. And at the end of the party, he goes out of the parking lot, puts one foot in Mike's car and one foot in Joe's car, and says, okay, let's go. See, only God is worthy of being the most important person or thing in our lives, 
other things, good things, family, friends, career, all have their place. So do other people. But as Augustine said, there is a God-shaped space at the center of our lives, and we are incomplete until he fills it. We may try and fill it with other things, even good things, but in the end, they'll just tear us apart. The solution to not being torn apart by our idols, or at least pulled this way and that by them, is something that the Bible calls holiness. By that, I don't mean keeping some long lists of do's and don'ts. That's legalism, not holiness. But there is one thing we're called to do. It's what Peter wrote to his friends. Honor the Lord Christ as holy in your hearts. I remember when we were in India, how amazed I was at how many little shrines there were everywhere, each with this dedicated group of believers who worshipped there. People would come down, come and bow down before statues of any one of thousands, literally thousands of different gods, asking their God to help them with their life. And each God has his own speciality. So success in business, childbearing, finding a husband and wife. So people had to honor a bunch of deities just to, get, get, you know, just to live. And that's the, the picture that Peter is painting here. Only instead of honoring a statue in a shrine somewhere, he calls us to honor Christ in our hearts. Just one God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. Just one shrine for each one of us. Our own hearts. And as Proverbs says, whatever is in your heart directs your life. If you have Christ, the Holy One, living in your heart, then he will direct your life towards holiness. Because holiness is catching. You catch it from Jesus. In that series on 1 Peter last last year... Uh, Vic preached a sermon on the church as a holy people. And I said at the time that it might be the best sermon on holiness I've ever heard. I still think that. And I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it again sometime this week. You can access it by going to stpaulunionchurch.com and clicking on podcasts. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, God says again and again, Be holy because I am holy. There's even a section in the middle called the Holiness Code. And the whole idea is that God's people will reflect God's character because he lives in their midst. His holiness kind of rubs off on his people. And in his his message, Vic talks about the process of becoming holy. That we consecrate ourselves to God, that's what Peter is talking about here, We honor the Lord Christ as holy in our hearts. And God begins the process of sanctifying us. The character of the person at the center of our lives begins to diffuse out through the rest of our lives. And that's the only way it works. You can't become more holy by adding and subtracting things to the outer layers of your life. Only by honoring the Lord at the center of your life. Because people become like what they worship and value. If what lives in your heart as your ultimate thing of value is money or success or some other person, then that will shape who you are. If God lives at your heart, that will shape, he will shape who you are. And that's what holiness is. The living God shaping your life 
because he lives in your heart. So let's get practical, shall we? How do we go about honoring Jesus as holy in our hearts? One thing you can do is you can ask the Lord to show you your own heart. Psalm 139, 21 and 22 is a good prayer to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You don't need to go digging. All you need to do is ask him and he'll show you what's there. And if God does show you something, other that show that something other than him is there, then you deal with it. If it's something wrong, then agree with God that it's wrong. That's confession. And turn away from it. That's repentance. And ask God for his grace to enable you to do that. God might show you that, he, that you've made something good an idol that's taken his place in your heart. It might be a particular person or your job, or your family. If that's the case, you need to rearrange the furniture in your heart so that Jesus is at the center, then everything else will fall into place. And ask the Lord to keep you aware of your own heart. The best way to do that is to take some time every day to speak to him and to listen. It may be in the morning, it may be in the evening, but set aside some time to talk to God about your life and listen to him. Read your Bible. And over time, he will change your life as it becomes centered on him. One Sunday morning, a man woke up around 5 a.m. His wife and children were still asleep. Glad to have some time to himself, he went downstairs, made himself a cup of coffee and began to read the morning paper. Three sentences into an article, his five-year-old daughter comes down the stairs. He says, honey, go back to bed. But I'm not sleepy, she insists. So determined to read his paper, he tried again to get her to go back to bed. Not a hope. Looking down at the paper, he came up with a plan. In the paper was a picture of the world. So he cut up into pieces, you know, like a jigsaw puzzle and handed it, handed it to his daughter along with some sticky tape and told her, go sit in the living room and see if you can put the world back together. His daughter went off in the living room and he went back into the kitchen to finish his coffee and read the rest of his newspaper. He'd only got a couple of sips of his coffee though when his daughter came bounding into the kitchen. Here, Daddy, I'm finished! Showing the picture of the, picture of the world all put back together again. Amazed, he asks, Sweetie, how did you do that? She says, It's easy, Daddy. On the back side of the page was a picture of a man. When you make the man right, you make the world right. We're going to be spending this month talking about living as Christians in the world around us. The starting point is not to try and change the world. The starting point is our own hearts. If we put Jesus at the center of our lives, if we honor him as holy in our hearts, then he starts putting our lives back together and the world begins to make more sense. But it has to start from the inside out. 
Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for the privilege of having you living in our hearts. Lord, help us to see if we've shifted you off to one side or the other and you're no longer in the center. Help us, Lord, to continue to honor you as holy in our hearts, to have you at the center of our lives. And Lord, we pray that by your grace you would shape us day by day to be more like you. In your name we pray. Amen.